It's good to have Pastor Moss back with us tonight. We're looking forward to the message that God has laid on his heart. And we, up to this point, we certainly have appreciated his ministry to us today. Pastor Moss. Well, thank you very much, uh, Pastor Albee. What a joy it is to be back with you again. And just a special privilege to be able to stand here and to serve my favorite senior pastor, Alan Lee. So let's get started. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. And tonight we will be considering the first five verses. I want to begin by asking just a few questions. How do you respond when things in your life are going in a drastically different direction than you planned? And you're faced with problems that seem larger than life. And what do you do when circumstances of your life seem to be mocking you as a Christian? So much so that you are tempted to wonder if God is active at all in your life. Or to put it simply, what's your approach to facing the problems of life? You might be here tonight and you might be walking through a broken marriage or one that is headed for divorce or prolonged separation or perhaps you're here and you have gone through a season of prolonged singleness. You're getting on in years and marriage doesn't seem to be on the horizon. Perhaps you might be here and the issue might be childlessness. You and your husband have been trying for years to have a child, but the desire is yet to be fulfilled. Or maybe you're here and you have an unbelieving spouse, and you're living with this unbelieving spouse, and it seems almost unbearable, and you're wondering whether it's worth staying in your marriage. Maybe it's a dead-end job or a career that just doesn't seem to be leading anywhere. And perhaps in a group this size, I think there might be some who are facing problems of a financial nature. Maybe it's financial crisis or just general hardship. You're overwhelmed with debt and perhaps you just can't seem to make ends meet. Perhaps you're facing a problem that I did not identify. But the truth is, whether you're facing one of the problems I identified or something else, I believe that this passage in the book of Ruth, in particular, in the book of Ruth in general, God speaks to us. And God gives us some direction that I believe will be helpful for us to follow. So please follow along as I read from Ruth. Chapter 1, the first five verses, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, so if you have another translation, yours will read slightly differently. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. 
They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Melon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this privilege that we have to hear your word and to sit under your word. And Lord, we pause not out of rote and ritual, but we pause out of a deep sense that we need your help. So Lord, will you come by the power of your spirit? Would you grant illumination? Would you open our ears that we might hear? And would you grant us all the ability to obey your word? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just a quick overview of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth has seven named characters. And in these five verses, we actually are introduced to six of them. And by the end of these five verses, three have died and three are left. And soon... One of the three, Orpah, is going to disappear off the scene. And by the end of chapter 1, only two of these characters are left, Ruth and Naomi. And then in chapter 2, we are introduced to the last named character named Boaz. But there's another character in the book of Ruth. He's not named And because he is not named, it's easy to miss this character, but this character is the main character. You see, the book of Ruth is really about God. God is the main character in the book of Ruth, but he is easy to miss because he is not named. But if we miss God, then we miss the whole point of the book. And if we miss the whole point of the book, then we miss the whole point of the message this evening. These first five verses of the book of Ruth lay out for us a severe set of circumstances that faced a man and his family. And I believe that God wants to address us from this passage. Because even if we are not currently facing some problem or crisis, if God spares our life, we will. And here's a general lesson that we can learn from the book of Ruth And the specific lesson that we learn from these five verses, it's this. Even in crisis, problems, and sin, God is sovereignly ruling over and graciously active in the lives of his people, bringing his purposes to pass. That's the point of this passage and the point of the message this evening. So let's turn our attention to these five verses, and here's how I want to Consider them. First of all, I want to consider the circumstances Elimelech faced. Second, I want us to evaluate the choices Elimelech made. And then third, I want us to ponder the consequences Elimelech reaped. So let's take them in order. First of all, let's consider the circumstances Elimelech faced. Elimelech faced two particular circumstances, and they're laid out for us in verse 1. 
Verse 1 says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. The first set of circumstances that Elimelech faced was that it was a dark and dangerous time. It was a spiritually dark and a spiritually dangerous time. He lived in the time of the judges. This was the time from the death of Joshua through to the end of the ministry of Samuel. It was right before Saul was anointed as the first king of Israel. So it covered a period of about 350 years. So you could imagine how entrenched this period of darkness and spiritual decay was. In the time of the judges, there's a, there's a very interesting, if you would just turn over to the book of Judges, uh, to chapter 21, and look at the very last verse, it says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The writer of the book of Judges rightly and appropriately describes for us the situation that existed in the time of the judges. This is the time that Elimelech was living in. And those of you who are familiar with the book of Judges, you would know that there are some horrific stories in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, we read about child sacrifice in the name of the Lord. We read about a priest, a Levitical priest, who was actually presiding over an idol temple. There's a story of a priest who takes a concubine, ignoring God's law about the kind of woman he should marry. And at one point, this priest was threatened by a group of homosexual men, and he takes his concubine and he gives his concubine to these men. And scripture says that they abused her and raped her all night, and the next morning she died. And this Backslidden priest takes his wife and he cuts her into 12 pieces and sends her to the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the last horrific event that is recorded in the book of Judges, and you can read it in chapters 19 through 21. But there are other uh, horrors that you read about in the book of Judges. That's the time that Elimelech lived in. It was a spiritually dark and a dangerous time. In addition to the time being spiritually dark and dangerous, the circumstances that Elimelech faced were also materially dry and destitute. Verse 1 tells us that there was a famine in the land. Elimelech faced a famine. Food was scarce. And although these two circumstances seem to be unrelated, they actually are very much related. Because properly understood, in the book of Judges, the famine was a part of God's judgment against the land, where everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. God was judging them to bring attention to the way that they were living. And what we find in the book of Judges is this cycle where the people would turn away from God, and God, in his mercy, would send their enemies against them to get them to repent, and he would send the enemies, and they would be oppressed, and they would get to the point where they cry out to God. God would send them a deliverer. He would raise up a judge. And then that judge would deliver them. During the life of the judge, they would serve God. But when the judge died, they would go back into idolatry and they would turn their backs on God. And the cycle would start again. Then God would send them another oppressor. 
And they would cry out to God, and God would send another judge, and that's the pattern that you see in the book of Judges. So this particular time that we are seeing, this time of famine, was a time where God was trying to get the attention of the nation of Israel. God was depriving them of food, he was behind the famine, and he was trying to get them to cry out to him that he would deliver them. That was God's intention for the famine. He wanted to bring them to repentance. Well, those are the circumstances that Elimelech faced. They were spiritually dark and dangerous, and they were materially dry and destitute. So what did Elimelech do? This brings us to the second step in our consideration of these verses. Let's Let's evaluate the choices Elimelech made. Well, sadly, Elimelech did not do what God wanted him to do. God wanted Elimelech to respond to him in the crisis. He wanted him to cry out to him and to repent along with the rest of the nation. But in verse 1, we are told how Elimelech responded to his circumstances. He responded by taking his wife and his two sons, and he left for the country of Moab. The Moabites were the near relatives of the Israelites. They were, the, they were the descendants of Moab, who was produced from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his eldest daughter. And the people of Moab, they worshipped false gods. This information was not unknown to Elimelech, yet he made a conscious choice to go to this country. Elimelech knew that the Moabites were pagans, and he knew that he and his family were going to find it harder to serve God in the context of Moab versus in the context of Bethlehem, but he still decided to move there. Why did he move? Elimelech was doing what the author of the book of Judges describes was happening at that time. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. When we consider these five verses, there are two very interesting contradictions that we find in this story. Here is Elimelech, he's living in Bethlehem, which means house of bread, and there's no bread. There's a famine in the land. So he's facing this contradiction, his circumstances are mocking him, and he basically says, I'm out of here, I'll find my own bread. See, God brought the famine, and God wanted to spur the people to repentance, but Elimelech's response was to move and not to cry out to God, along with God's people. There's another contradiction. Elimelech means God is my king. That's what his name means. And in those days, when people called your name, they understood what that meant. And he understood what his name meant. And he was given that name for good reason. He was marked by his parents. And his name means God is my king. But when we evaluate the choice that Elimelech makes when faced with famine, instead of staying in Bethlehem and crying out to God and trusting God and repenting, he essentially says, I'll be my own king. I'll make my own way, God. I'll provide bread for my family. That's a contradiction. Let me ask you tonight. How do you face those tough circumstances of your life? When you have those contradictions, you live in Bethlehem, the house of bread, but there's no bread. What kind of choices do you make when the chips are down and the times are hard? The reality is that if if you've trusted in Christ, like the meaning of Elimelech's name, God is your king. 
But do your choices, especially in crisis, reflect that truth? That God is my king. Or do they reflect that you're your own king? You're doing your own thing. You're making your own way. Perhaps there's some of you tonight, right now, in this room, and you're facing your own dark time. You're facing your own famine in the form of life's problems and challenges. The question is, what kind of choices are you making? Do your choices reflect that you are a Christian? That God is the king to whom you are submitted? Are you seeking to hear God and to obey his voice in the midst of your problems and your challenges? Or are you like a Limelech, being your own king, making your own way? You see, it's helpful in the midst of our crisis to remember that God is sovereign over it. God was sovereign over the famine. He caused the famine. He was behind the famine. He wanted a particular response. And we need to remember that he wants us to cry out to him in the midst of our crisis. This morning I was both moved and encouraged as I listened to my friend Paul Worrell briefly share how God graciously met him in a season of difficulty that he faced in his business, how he for over one year just cried out to God, seeking him in prayer in the midst of his crisis. And I thought, you don't learn that in business school. And I can guarantee you that there were perhaps other businessmen at that time who don't know God, facing similar circumstances, and I can tell you they didn't respond in that particular way. But again, those of us who have put our trust in Christ, we are called by his name, we bear his name, and we are called to respond differently. On the face of it, it would seem like Elimelech made one choice, like he made a choice to go to Moab. But when we consider it, Elimelech made some other choices. And they merit our evaluation. Elimelech made a choice about community. He chose to leave the promised land where God had placed him and connected him to others with whom he shared a common history. One of the interesting things to see is that though there was this famine in Bethlehem, there is no indication that there was a mass exodus from Bethlehem to go to Moab. There's no indication that, you know, the highways were blocked and people were trying to get out of Bethlehem to Moab. No, it doesn't seem to be that way at all. It doesn't seem to be that people were starving in, in, in Bethlehem. And although things were dark, as we see in the book of Judges, all of those horrific situations that we read there, yet in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, we meet this man by the name of Boaz. And we see that Boaz is a godly man, and his servants are godly servants, and his entire household is serving God. And what we see is that it was possible to serve God in the midst of the darkness in Bethlehem. But the problem was that Elimelech valued bread that perishes more than he valued spiritual community with God's people that endures for eternity. So as we consider... Elimelech's choice, let me ask you, what do you, what value do you place on spiritual community? What value do you place on the relationships that God has put you in with brothers and sisters in his house? Are you okay 
with walking to your own drumbeat, ignoring the rhythm of spiritual community? Are you indifferent to the impact your decisions will have on your spiritual life? Was it more important for you to try to deal with your crisis and let community fall wherever community falls? So maybe some of you right now, in your crisis, you're, you're contemplating maybe a job change. Have you thought how that job change might affect your ability to participate in spiritual life in your local church with brothers and sisters to whom you're joined? You might be thinking about relocating, going to a family island, or perhaps leaving the country. Have you considered, what are you guided by? Are you guided by bread, or are you guided by God? Will you make a choice like a Limelech and leave the place where God has placed you, though hard, but God has placed you there, and he's sovereign over it? Elimelech made another choice, in addition to the choice that he made about community, he made a choice about his family. He made a choice regarding his family, especially his two sons. No doubt if we could interview Elimelech tonight, he would say, I did it for the children. I wanted them to have a better life. I didn't want them to go through what I had gone through. Things were hard in Bethlehem, he would tell us. The truth is that Elimelech disregarded the best interests of his son. He he disregarded their fragile makeup. Evidently, from the names that Elimelech gave his sons at birth, he recognized that these boys were weak. The name Malon in the original language means sickly. He gave him that name because the boy evidently was sickly. And the name Kilion means wasting. There was obviously some issue there because that's the way they named children in general. They named them by something indicative of what they saw in their birth. Yet Elimelech took these two fragile boys to a foreign land, a pagan land, in search of more bread because he refused to acknowledge God in a crisis of famine. He refused to cry out to God for mercy and put his trust in God. And third and finally, having considered the circumstances Elimelech faced and evaluated the choices he made, let's consider the consequences Elimelech reaped. Things did not turn out exactly the way Elimelech had planned them. He reaped some consequences he did not plan for. Apparently there was bread in Moab because he ended up staying. Notice it says at first he went to sojourn, but he remained there. But after some time he died. His sons were left with their mother and faced with the choice of returning to Bethlehem or staying in Moab, and they stayed. Another consequence that he faced is he lost his son spiritually. These boys both married Moabite women, showing that they were identifying more with a pagan people and a pagan land rather than their own people and the promised land. Their decision shows that, like their father Elimelech, they were doing what was right in their own eyes. 
They were following in daddy's footsteps. He lost his sons. We don't know how long Malon and Killian were married, but they had no children. Strangely, two brothers, no children. And for the nation of Israel, with its special covenant relationship with God, barrenness was often a sign, not always a sign, but often a sign of God's judgment for disobedience. So the death of Elimelech, the barrenness of their marriages, still did not get their attention. Still did not get their attention that God is speaking to you, Malon, Hilion, and Naomi. In verse 5, we read that after about 10 years, after the father's death, both boys died. And now Naomi is left all alone. Her husband and her sons are dead. And things did not go as planned. And what Naomi realizes is that the grass, especially in crisis, always looks greener on the other side. Naomi learns this the hard way. So what are the consequences Elimelech faced? Well, apart from being dead himself, his two sons were dead, and he leaves behind a bitter wife. And, and why is that? As I thought about this, the line of uh, old hymn by Augustus Top Lady came to mind. Blind unbelief is sure to err. Blind unbelief is sure to err. And oftentimes in crisis, we have, un- we have that blind unbelief and it is sure to err. You see, when we're not trusting in God in the midst of our crisis, our blind unbelief will cause us to err. But in crisis, we are to respond to God by engaging him for perspective and trusting in him. We don't run from God and try to make our own way. No, we engage God. Well, the good news is despite Naomi's and Elimelech's disobedience in leaving Bethlehem, God was sovereignly ruling over her life. God was graciously active in her life. And God was bringing his purposes to pass, as the rest of the story bears out. I think a good question to consider is, why was Naomi spared? No doubt Elimelech initiated this idea to go to Moab, but after his death, Naomi had an opportunity to to, to return. She could have gone back to Bethlehem. She could have encouraged her sons to return with her, but she didn't do that. She sanctioned their marriages to pagans. So why is she spared? Well, Naomi is spared for one single reason. Sovereign grace. God in his mercy chose to spare Naomi, even though she deserved to die in Moab, just like her disobedient husband and just like her sons. She was as disobedient as they were, and she deserved to die. But in giving grace to Naomi, God was foreshadowing the day when he would extend grace to unbelieving and undeserving sinners like Naomi, 
sinners like you and me. And the grace given to all who put their faith in Christ is only possible through Christ's death on the cross. But also in these five verses, as dark and as sad as they are, God has graciously foreshadowed the hope of Christ for all sinners. Because Elimelech's disobedience and his mission resulted in death. And it points to Christ's obedience and his mission that resulted in life. You see, Elimelech left Bethlehem in disobedience. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to Bethlehem in obedience. And what Elimelech did, that's recorded for us in Scripture, points in Scripture, points forward a few thousand years to the day when Christ would come and he would go to that place and he would obey his heavenly Father and he would give his life as a ransom for many. For those of us who have put our trust in Christ, The temptation that we all face in the midst of crisis is to do what is right in our own eyes. But we need to remember that even in our crisis, in our problems and even sin, God is sovereignly ruling over. God is graciously active in the lives of his people. And he is bringing his purpose to pass. No doubt some of you here tonight, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord. And persons say that you are living for yourself. You are doing what is right in your own eyes. And my appeal to you tonight is that you would hear God's voice. That you would, through this message, hear God's voice calling you to repent, to trust in Christ, the one who went to Bethlehem to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for our obedient Savior, the one who came not to do his own will, but to do your will. Father, I ask that you would continue to speak to our hearts from your word. I pray, O Lord, that you would But let your word echo in our hearts as we go. I pray in particular, Lord, for those who are in the throes of trials and crises and problems. Lord, that they will cry out to you. That they will recognize that you're sovereign, that you are at work, that you have a plan. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they would be like Christ and not like Elimelech, doing the Father's will. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.